0: Thank you so much, Pastor Jeff. I'm going to try not to weep and to just bring God's word to us. I really just want to give us one phrase out of the Bible in my last message. It's a time where Jesus turns to his people and he simply says, I know where you live. Maybe i picked that out. Because, as Jeff said, Chris and I are going to be moving. We're we're going to be leaving this place where we lived and moving to Colorado Springs because our daughter Heather is there and our son-in-law Mike is there and our three grandchildren are there. So we're going there. And as you've heard, very unexpectedly... Kind of at the last moment, I was called to my alma mater, to Wheaton College, to become their interim chaplain. Yes, I'll be commuting from Colorado (laughs) Springs into Chicago, and I suppose having to experience some more of those beautiful Chicago winters, what what do you think? But uh, as I think about that, and I think about you, I, I just want you to know how much Chris and I love you How much we mourn leaving this city, that Pasadena, that we have come to love so deeply and this church, which really is the church I've always wanted to be a part of and now uh, have been able to be, but God has called us away. It's been really fun to do it with all of the musicians. Um, I used to get together with uh, Dwayne Thunderbird and Jeremy Rose. And whenever we'd go through times, I said, you know, on my last Sunday, I'm going to do some things that nobody would ever let me do. And I gave them the craziest ideas in the world. uh, Like, well, i I tell you what I want to do. I want to have some of our pastors and staff, like Roger Bosch and Pastor Bill Mead and Levi Heidelberg, whose son Jaron was playing drums, to come and do interpretive dance as Dwayne plays the accordion and as Jeremy plays a kazoo. Now, I, I wanted to do that today, but my wife, Chris, who is obviously far wiser than her husband, advised me against that. And she said instead, she said, Greg, I think it would be better for you to bring us to the word of God and whatever God might have to say to people who are living in difficult times and in difficult places. And you know she's right because we're living in those. Uh, I've been summarizing them with three Ps. I said one of the difficulties is a pandemic due to the coronavirus. You all know that well. The second is the protests that continue to take place because of our ongoing battles in our country against racial injustice. And as has been mentioned already several times in this service, even here in our own city. Yet again, just about a week ago, Anthony McLean, was killed by authorities. And as we should and as we do, we mourn with and for the McLean family. We pray with and for the McLean family because God has brought us into this community as his people to bring the care and compassion of Jesus when protests take place. Then the other one that I am already beginning to see and, and, and anticipating are these political campaigns filled with pettiness, (laughs) I am sure that's going to be the case and we're going to have to walk that through together and I wish I could be, I think I wish I could be here to do that with you. And then I've added yet another, uh, fires, but maybe I could call it pyres so I could continue to have uh, P sounds that are there because you read that 560 of those are happening throughout our beautiful state of California these days. With all of those things happening in these days and times, I want you to hear today Jesus saying to you and to all of us, I am and will be who I am, the one who is faithful and just, the one who is both loving in the midst of these times, but also strong enough to transform them. Allah, Psalm 62, verses 11 and 12. And whatever you go through, whatever difficult times you are in, I will be there. I will be there. The book of Revelation points that out perhaps as clearly and profoundly as any book in the entire Bible because the people were going through difficulties. In fact, the apostle John who wrote it was going through one of the greatest difficulties that you can possibly imagine at the end of his life. He was there in sort of a first century Alcatraz you know, an island in which he was imprisoned, Patmos, and he was simply there because of his faithfulness to Jesus. He must have asked, have I been abandoned by God himself? When, if you read Revelation chapter 1, it is so beautiful, Jesus comes and meets him in that place. He turns around and he sees, yes, it is still the same Jesus, but seems so different from the Jesus who was born in a little manger, the Jesus who, when John had walked with him, didn't even have a place to lay his head. Now, when John sees Jesus, he sees the glorified. He sees the majestic. He sees the resurrected Jesus, greater than every enemy in this world, including death itself. Really declaring to him, I know where you are, John, and I am with you. And then when you move over to chapter two, you find Jesus sort of doing this walkabout tour among seven churches in uh, Western Asia. He goes, goes first to, to the city of Ephesus, which was the mega city for California. It would be the Los Angeles. For the U.S., it would be the New York of, of Ephesus. Then he goes to a small town and to let you know that Jesus is there in a small town too. He goes to Smyrna and then he stops where I want us to stop with Pergamum. And so now I want you to read in each one of these cities. He has his angel or a messenger dictate a memo to each church, looking into the affairs of the church, often giving a, a word of saying, this is happening there, um, These are some good things happening. These are some things that can't happen anymore. And then some last words. And let's hear what he has to say to this city of Pergamum. If you have a chance, I'd love to have you to stand. Because we are going to be listening to the words of this one who overcomes death to our Lord himself. Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write... These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those among you who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and fight against them. With the sword of my mouth, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious or overcomes. I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, You may be seated. So here we have these eyes of fire of Jesus as they're described in Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. Now coming to Pergamum. And where I want us to stop today in what I've just read to you, I want us to look at just two parts of the message. I want us to see the commendation. The words of praise that he has. And then I want us to look at these awesome promises. I know I'm leaving out some of the tough parts. Uh, Pastor Jeff, I'm going to leave that for you to take up. So I'm going to come to my last Sunday. I get to preach on what I want to preach as the Lord leads. So let's think about this commendation. What is Jesus? If he can pick out one thing good to say about the church in Pergamum, what does he say? And we see it in verse 13. I know where you live. That's it. (laughs) That's the commendation. What kind of a commendation is that? It's like he said, I've got to think of something good to say. Okay, well, I know where you live. To Ephesus, he had said, I know your deeds, and we can understand that. To to commend good deeds is a good thing. To to Smyrna, the little church, he said, I know your afflictions, and we can understand that too, to be faithful in the midst of tough times. But when it comes to Pergamum, what am I going to commend them for? Well, I know where you live. I've thought, this is like all those times when I've been a pastor, and especially I used to go into the hospital when some of the people would have the birth of a child. And if I were to go in... And I would see that newborn baby of somebody who had their very first child. And I would look at that child and I would say, well, I've seen a lot of babies. And I'll tell you, that is one. Then you just turn around and walk out. Wouldn't you say, wait a minute, (laughs) what kind of commendation is that? And and yet that's all that Jesus says, I know where you live. So we, we have to stop in times like this. And just chew on, why is that so significant? So let's think about it. One reason why I know where you live is such a word of praise is because the Christians there had a rotten neighbor. And I'm telling you, he was having a bad influence on everybody and especially upon the Christians who were there. Did you notice? I know where you live. You live where Satan lives. And even more powerfully, I know where you live. You live where Satan has his throne. That has to be one of the most startling statements in in the entire Bible to a a group of people in a a city. Because you know, the evil one was at work everywhere in all those churches and is at work everywhere in our world. What was it about Pergamum that made it a place that seemed like that Satan was especially present in that place and that, in fact, his ruling power was growing from that place in in a very, very powerful and specific way. And I I think there are a couple of reasons, perhaps. I I think one reason is that, well, I've been to Pergamum. Uh, It's sort of in a valley area and then it just right there from the city goes straight up. And as it goes straight up, Uh, On the top of that mountainous area, overlooking the rest of the city, a huge temple had been erected to the false god Zeus, and a huge altar had been built there. Um, In the city of Berlin, there is a a Pergamum Museum. And so I found a picture there because they were trying to help people to envision what it might have been like to have lived in Pergamum. I, I hope you can see that picture if Kenzo gets it up for us. You can see the people coming in and just towering up above them is that temple of Zeus with the altar that would be there. You can imagine what it would be like if you were a Christian and people were to come into your city and the first thing that they saw was this temple and altar to a false god. You can imagine what it was like when they would get up in the morning and walk outside and the thing that they saw was not the beautiful mountains of the San Gabriel Valley, but it said that that temple overlooking their city, it must have been oppressive. It must have felt as if the evil one has his throne in this place. I uh, Here in Lake Avenue Church, you know, we have this uh, beautiful high uh, cross that towers over the two ten. I always feel every time I drive past, I look at that and I say, God has a people here. Makes me smile. (laughs) Uh, For them, it was uh, the opposite. As they would go into that city, they would feel Satan lives here. But another reason, related to it, but another reason that made uh, this the place of, of demonic presence and power is that the thing that said Pergamum apart from all the other seven churches there in Western Asia, because all the other churches had temples in them too, but in this particular city, it was the seat of Roman power in that part of Asia. And the emperor in Rome who had his people right there, had them in Pergamum. In other words, if Ephesus, the first city, was a lot like if it were in California, Los Angeles, then Pergamum was like Sacramento. It, it was there in Pergamum that the first edict went out from the emperor in Rome through the governor there in Pergamum that people had to worship him, the emperor, or else they would be persecuted or even killed. He was a megalomaniac man. If anybody tried to, uh, if anybody tried to complain about or say anything negative about him, they would be slaughtered. And he wanted people to worship him. It was there in Pergamum that we have the first reports of Christians actually being persecuted, and it was there in Pergamum in Asia where the first Christians died. All of that is to say, can, can you imagine how hard it would have been simply to live there as a Christian in Pergamum, and how hard it would have been to be faithful and give witness to Jesus? So Jesus turns to them and he says, I know where you live. And it's not only you who are there. I am there too. Now, the other reason why I think these words, I know where you live, becomes a commendation. It's related to that verse too. Is that it seems just from the words that Jesus uses, that the Christians who were there not only lived there because they had to, but they had made a commitment to be in that city. They must have sensed a calling to be in that city and not to budge. Now, why do I say that? Because that word, I know where you live, where you live is a very specific word. Um, the book of Revelation, the language that it was first written in, was not English, it was, it was Greek. And in Greek, there are a number of words for to live in a place. And one of them, the one that I thought would be found here, is, is a word that Christians really liked. It was parapedemato. I thought I would put that up for you so you could see it, just so you have a Greek lesson today. And it was a word that meant to live in a place, to take up permanent, no, to take up temporary residence in a place. Uh, it, this was used often for Christians uh, who were persecuted in the first century. And and Christians love that word, and you can imagine why. That you're going through a tough time now, but these times will not last forever. There will not always be pandemics. There will not always be protests. There will not always be crazy, crazy political campaigns. Another day is coming. There have been great spirituals written about that word, like, um, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere, not here, but beyond the blue. Do you know that song? It's based on this word, it's kind of like what I'll be doing this coming year, having temporary residence in Wheaton, Illinois, and getting out of the freezing cold in January to go back home. Now, I really expected that that would be the word that Jesus used because he wanted to encourage these Christians in Pergamum going through these tough times and in that tough place. But I was shocked to find out that was not the word that Jesus used. The word that he used was katōikeō ke'o. It, it's the word that means to take a permanent residence. That's home. That's where you settle in. It's a word that Jesus uses in Ephesians chapter three, verse 17. When he says, "When I come into your life, I come into Katokel, I come in to dwell." <laughs> and it, praise be to God. When Jesus comes into our lives, He declares, "I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. My name is Emmanuel, God with you." Oh, don't you love that word? But that's the word that He uses for the persecuted Christians. In Pergamum. Why on earth did he use this word in his word of praise? And the only reason that I can see is Jesus looked at those Christians and in the midst of this time when most people would want to run because I believe they sensed the leading of the Spirit of God to be in that city and to go into that place no matter what happened they lived there they settled in there So that if the evil one was going to have residence in their city, if the one of darkness was going to have residence in their city, there were going to be representatives of the kingdom of light in that place because we become children of light. And as powerful as the evil one is, light always dispels darkness. I I look at verses 13 and 14 and I think, boy, there have been some times which their commitment to be there must have been challenged and especially when the first one of them Antipas my faithful servant he says was killed he said in your city where Satan has his stone I've tried to picture being there in Pergamum as I preach to you <laughs> I imagine Antipas must have been a major church leader Maybe he preached the sermon. Uh, Jeff, beware. I would rather think he was the minister of music. <laughs> that uh, Christians were not supposed to worship just Jesus. It's okay if you worship just Jesus, but they also had to worship you know, the emperor. And they refused to do it. And Antipas refused to do it. And what apparently had happened was, after doing so, you know, worshiping Jesus and not the emperor, after the service, he was seized by the authorities. He was slapped into prison. He was taken to trial, found guilty, and slaughtered simply because of his faithfulness to Jesus. Probably with this warning, anybody else who shows up to worship next time, the same thing that happened to him will happen to you. Who, who wants to preach next week? Who wants to lead worship next week? I'm telling you, it would probably have been a challenge, and yet they were there. I can really envision all the excuses that some might make, like, well, if I were just single, I might be willing to take the risk of staying here. But after all, uh, I have family, my, my parents' grandparents are here, my children. Or here I can risk my own life, but I'm not going to risk theirs. And yet that didn't seem to have happened. Because they sensed the call of God to be in that city. They stayed there. They did not budge. And you begin to see what this must have meant to them. When Jesus turns to them. And he says, I know where you live. I know what you're going through. I I know that it's simply out of obedience to me that you have chosen to make Pergamum your home. I know the courage that it takes. I I know where you live. I am there. You're not alone. And I am pleased. I, I don't know if maybe some of you remember this. Uh, this, this was the very first passage that many people at Lake Avenue Church ever heard me preach. It was up in Camarillo. <laughs> it was up in Camarillo. That was the uh, senior past search committee of ages ago coming up to hear me preach. And I, I preach from this text. Later they put that sermon on a CD and passed it out. So perhaps you've heard it, though you, you know already this is a very different message from what I did then because of the times that we are living in. But I'll tell you, what I called it then, and I I still like this phrase, I called it the Pergamum perspective. The perspective on all of this stuff that happens in our world that we can have when dwelling within us is the Spirit of God, the one who has the power over life and death. So I've sort of reframed my Pergamum perspective. I'll put it here for you and I'll read it through with maybe a little embellishment. The perspective is this, that the Lord Jesus is present with me and greater than anyone and anything in this universe that he made. He will, in his time, guide us through every pandemic, every protest... Every political campaign in this world until his kingdom comes in all of its fullness. So, if the place that he has put me in now is difficult, he knows where I live. So, I will be at peace and faithful to Jesus until this trial is over, because in his time he will make all things right you you see it don't you i know where you live where you live just because a time and place might be difficult doesn't mean that you and i as the people of jesus should not be there and i'll tell you just my experience when i've been in those hard places and stayed there and sought to be faithful to the name of jesus i've experienced The presence of Jesus and the power and sufficiency of Jesus in ways I otherwise never have. And I pray that the same will be true of you. So that's the commendation. I know where you live. Now, let's, let's think about these awesome promises. What happens if we remain faithful to Jesus? And he says, this is what you'll find if you overcome. I'll give you hidden manna and a white stone. You want those? (laughs) What are they? You might be thinking. Let me just tell you, I love them. Hidden manna. This is what happened there in the desert. It it is a desperately needed provision. In the wilderness time that the people of Israel were in, when this manna came, they they would have starved to death without it. A desperately needed provision that they didn't see the night before, but then was provided in just the right time by God. Have have you ever experienced that kind of hidden manna in your life? When there was a time in your life when you you couldn't even imagine where where the sufficient resources to to meet this thing would ever come from, so one day you just couldn't see it. And then in his time, usually not one second too early... (laughs) He provides this, what was hidden manna, but now has become yours. Um, I've I've experienced this so many times. I wanted to tell you so many stories, but we would be here all day and you would turn me off. So I'll tell you, I'll remind you of one because I think it is my very favorite one. It was back uh, just as Chris and I were getting engaged. I was, I was living in Wheaton, but also serving, well, like now, back and forth, Germany to Wheaton, Germany to Wheaton, <laughs> as I went to school and I would come over to uh, Germany to sing and, and to, to engage in ministry. Well, when I came back, uh, one of those times, I think it was in January before I was to go back to Germany, I bought my plane ticket to go back. I paid for all of my school bills, I bought an engagement ring for Chris and uh, I tried to take care of the things that had to be and then I still had a week or so to live and then I looked and saw how much money I still had and I believe my memory tells me it was a dollar and 37 cents. That's what I remember. And my old roommate had left me a five pound bag of frozen spinach. I didn't even like spinach very much back then, but it was there. I didn't know what I was going to do. When, almost out of the blue, I got this phone call from my friends, uh, Larry and Ruth, and they said, Greg, we were just thinking about you. We're going out to dinner. We wondered if you'd like to go with me. I said, let me check my schedule. Yes. (laughs) So they picked me up and took me out for this wonderful dinner, and then... As they dropped me off afterwards, they said, wait a minute, Greg, um, we have something for you. And they opened up their trunk, and there they had two bags of groceries. And Larry handed it to me, he said, I don't know why, but we just thought you might like to have this, Did I want to have it. What was it? It was hidden manna, it was hidden manna. H- have you ever experienced that? I, I pray that you will that in those times and places of difficulty, you don't know where the provision will come from and God is there. Jesus knows where you live and provides someone or something to step in. Beautiful, beautiful. The other one might even be in many ways more more beautiful. This white stone, I've I've called it the lavish and generous gift from a king or from a governor. But actually in the ancient world, almost everybody viewed a white stone if they could ever find it. As, as being just a, a symbol of good fortune. The Jewish rabbis even talked about white stones occasionally being in the manna, which is maybe the reason why Jesus chose it. But I'll tell you, for the people there in Pergamum, it had a very special meaning. Being the center of, of authority there in Asia, a white stone was also something that would be given by the, by the emperor in, Ro- in Rome, or by the governor there in Asia to people that did something that especially pleased him. So if you had a white stone, it would give you, for example, entrance into any event in the entire Roman Empire, including the Olympic Games. I can imagine that if somebody gave you a white stone now and if you were a big Dodger fan, you would go down the Dodgers stadium, and as you walked up there and say, I wanna go in and see the Dodgers play, and they say, you can't come in here, don't you know about the COVID restrictions, right? Isn't that what would happen? And you said, oh, is that right? Uh, well, I have this white stone, does that help it? Mouth agape, they would say, well, that's different. Come in right now, who do you wanna sit next to? As long as you're appropriately socially distanced, Clayton Kershaw or Mookie Betts or Cody Bellinger, pick out, pick out whichever one. If you're a Dodger fan, you'd be pretty happy about that. Well, why does Jesus pick that out? I think there's a reason. Because Jesus knows why he's bringing us through the tough times. He works in all things, and sometimes, especially in the difficult times and places, to bring about his good in our lives, and to bring about his eternal kingdom of peace and justice. And uh, in this, I I believe he's wanting to say to us, yes, I allow you as my children for whom I died and whom I love to go through this tough time for this season, but I tell you, if you will trust me, be faithful to me, uh, the time is going to come when you know you cannot outgive God. I will give to you hidden manna when you most need it. I will give to you a white stone and we just got to say, hallelujah. (laughs) May you come quickly, Lord Jesus. Now, Oh man, I'll just weep here, I think. What do these words have to say to us in this period of pandemic protests, plus puerile political pettiness? Empires, every P I could think of. I sat down and I thought about so many of you, and I've jotted down a few things. When you have made the hard decision that the wisest thing for you and your family to do is to send your children to elementary school instead of keeping them home, but you are afraid, I want you to hear Jesus say, in this time, be wise, wash your hands and have your children do the same, keep on a mask, Appropriate social distancing, but I want you to know that wherever your children go, I know. For I know where they live. When, as I found out so much last week when I was at, at Wheaton, you are a college student, and though you could ha- have done education remotely, you have prayerfully chosen to go back to campus but you know your parents are scared to death about you being there, about whether you will be safe. I want you to hear Jesus say, be wise, put on a mask, socially distance, wash your hands, but be at peace. For I know where you live and I know where your parents live too. When your spouse of over 40 years or your parent or grandparent has been developing dementia. And the time's come has to be sent to a senior care center when you wonder whether you'll ever be able to see him again because of the COVID restrictions. You you must remember that Jesus loves him more than even you and your family ever could. And though you can't be there, Jesus knows where he lives and he is there. When you have had an adult child who has had to be committed to a mental health center and you you just feel helpless and you just wonder why have things gone so wrong? Remember that Jesus loves her or him more than you or anybody else ever could And that Jesus knows where she or he lives and is there. When the only place that you can find work is as an essential worker, or if God's call upon your life is to work in a hospital, uh, to, to deal with so much of what is happening through this virus, and you know you have to go in, for some, because you just desperately need income. And for the other, because that is a part of your calling. And yet you know this is a dangerous place. You have to remember that, it, that if you have sought the Lord and, and that this is his leading, that Jesus knows. He knows where you go. He knows where you live. He will be faithful to you. And he wants you to be faithful to him in that place. perhaps mostly, and and Jeff, you talked about this earlier, that we've had so many deaths in our community. When someone you deeply love, your dad, your mom, your child, your friend, your grandparent, has passed away, perhaps due to coronavirus, you, you feel the deep and painful agony of loss, don't you? I want you, please, to hear Jesus say, I know. I love that person that you miss more than you do. And believe me right now, I know where they live. In a place far, far better than Pergamum or even Pasadena. Praise be to the risen Lord who alone is greater than death itself. Jesus is declaring in this text that wherever you go, whatever you do, wherever a loved one is, I know, I know where you live. I will be there, and when I am there, I will be who I am, faithful and just, sufficient for the challenge, loving more than you can love, more powerful than death itself. Trust me, there is no place in this world that I am not there is no pandemic in this world that I am not greater than. There is no protest that someday in my time I will not turn into a place in my kingdom of justice, complete justice and peace. For there is nothing that can separate you or anyone from who I am and from my love. And this fall there is no political pettiness or candidate who does not fall under the authority of our sovereign lord no 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 accidents in the kingdom of god so even though chris and i know that right now by the leading of god we have to be leaving leaving the city that we really love i fell in love with it sitting down at mi Piace. One day seeing the people of the world go back every, by every tribe, language, and nation. We have to leave this church that is the church that I've always wanted to be a part of. We will seek as we leave not to be afraid, but to go by faith. We don't know really anything that lies ahead. But Jesus does. And he knows where we will live. <laughs> He'll be there. And I assure you, this isn't just true for a pastor. This is true for you too. So my last words, wherever you go, whatever you face, I just want you to hear the words of Jesus coming from the pages of Scripture across the ages and miles to you and declaring, I am the one who is faithful and true. I am the one who is loving and strong and I know where you live so that you may live to his glory. Amen.